Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Roberta Rincon. She is the Associate Director of Research at the Society of Women Engineers. What really made me want to speak to her is her title, really, is what? what why does an engineering society need a director of research? What is she researching? What is this research used for? And, <laughs> and how do you disseminate this research? So many questions. So I suppose we could just jump right into it. Welcome to Teach the Geek interview, Dr. Rincon. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. From the bit of research I did on you, besides your title, besides knowing your title, I know <laughs> that, that you studied civil engineering in school. What motivated you to study civil engineering? That's a great question. Uh, and it's a, it's kind of a hard one because I'm not quite sure um, when I, when I was in high school, um, I was very good at math and very good at science. And I had a, I had a friend, um, who was interested, who actually had a, a crush on the drafting instructor <laughs> my senior year. And she convinced me to take drafting and, um, drafting with her. So I went ahead and, and did that. And, you know, as a senior kind of thinking about what do I want to do in college, um, of course, architecture, sort of, you know, drafting architecture. I didn't feel that I was very artistically inclined. Um, so um, engineering was something that sort of came up. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give this, I'll give this a shot. And, you know, I know engineers make good money. And that was also something that was very important to me, because I did not grow up with, with, uh, with, a very privileged background. So I wanted something that would be, that would allow me a, a level of financial independence. And so that's where I ended up. And I started out in civil engineering at the University of Texas at Austin, and I ended up sticking with it, which is, um, I think, maybe not as common as, as um, you would think. Um, I know that a lot of college students change their major quite often, and, and I did think about changing my major, but um, but I ended up staying with it because it actually is extremely interesting and very, um, there's a lot you can do in, in civil engineering, um, whether it's hydraulics or environmental or um, structural. I ended up in highway design. I also, well, I also saw that you got a MBA as well. So what was the motivation to get that degree? I did. Um, so I worked in highway design for a few years uh, after graduating, and I felt that I wanted to make a career change. Um, honestly, as I've been working with the Society of Women Engineers now for almost seven years, and when I started here, um, I hadn't been a practicing engineer for a while, and so I, um, I. I think that as I was doing this research with the Society of Women Engineers, I realized why I left engineering. And it really was because of, of um, feeling lonely, feeling isolated, 
some of those feelings in engineering that women and, and those who are um, sort of underrepresented in the profession feel, I was feeling that. And so I was looking for sort of a change. Um, uh, looking back, I wish that I had found organizations like the Society of Women Engineers, like the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers to sort of um, help me feel like I wasn't alone. Um, but I ended up going back to school uh, to make that career change. And I felt that an MBA was something that could help build upon what I had already done. And, and it really did. It opened up some new new doors for me. But you weren't done there. This, I mean, Dr. Rincon, you must really <laughs> like school because you ended up getting a, a PhD in educational policy and planning. So I've never heard of, 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 of educational policy and planning. So what did that entail? And what was the motivation to get that degree? I ended up, after getting my MBA, um, I ended up in higher education administration. I worked for the Texas uh, Higher Education Coordinating Board, which is the sort of the governing body um, for higher education in the state of Texas. And after working there a few years, I ended up um, working in academic affairs, which is sort of getting away from sort of the engineering side of things working more with student success um, and um, and degree programs and such, um, research funding. Um, and as working in higher education, you realize that um, if you want to advance, you need a terminal degree. And so I was looking for something that aligned with my interests and my career goals and um, would allow me some flexibility because I was working full-time, I had a family, and I needed something that would allow me to, to take classes when I could. And there are very few doctoral programs that will allow you to do that. So educational policy and planning is one that, you know, I, I have no regrets about, about doing that particular degree um, because it was something that introduced me to what what sort of causes these inequities that we see in education? And specifically now the work that I'm doing in with SWE education in STEM, in science, technology, engineering, and math, I have a greater understanding of those inequities because of the of what I learned in my doctoral program. So you, now you have a degree in civil engineering, you have an MBA, and you have a PhD in educational policy and planning. How did those three degrees help you in the work that you do now? How did the degrees help me in the work that I do now? Uh, it is, it's amazing how the job that I do right now combines all of that because my engineering background, I understand the path and the, and the issues and the challenges that um, engineering students and those in the workforce, engineers in the workforce face, because I've, I've faced them. I've done that. I've, I've gone that path. Um, the MBA gives me more of the financial understanding, business background. Um, and so working with numbers, working with dollars, um, understanding budgets, those are, are really, um, really what I think the, the MBA has brought me. And then the educational policy and planning is where the, the inequities and understanding how to how to evaluate social science research, um, because that's a lot of what I do right now is 
the the surveys, the interviews, the case studies, um, being able to read these articles in all of these different journals and and understand them and sort of um, make sense of them and be able to to share that with a, a non maybe non-technical audiences or technical audiences who maybe are not as comfortable or familiar with the social science that has that background all sort of combined has helped me to really really I think um it's just been really beneficial in the in the current position that I hold you mentioned when you were an engineer that you felt isolated mm-hmm. what could the company have or the, the company or companies what could they have done to I guess alleviate that isolation for you that's a great question um a, a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that, um, you know, I worked in two different places after graduating with my degree. And in both places, I was the only female engineer. Um, and and that was hard. Um, I think, you know, we need to we need to diversify the engineering profession. We need more women in engineering. And um, organizations can help with that in, you know, better recruitment and retention of, of women so that we can, we can see more diversity in the profession until we feel, I believe that um, there's research that shows that it's about like 30%. If you can reach that 30% threshold, then you're, you're, you're less inclined to have individuals feel that they are sort of like the only. Um, It gets a little more complicated when you start talking about intersectional identity. So not just women or um, engineers of color, but women engineers of color um, can often feel that they are even more alone um, because they don't necessarily um, uh, feel that they are included or feel um, a sense of belonging when they are, when you feel like that, like there's nobody who really understands um, th- that you really feel connected to. And so I, I, what my particular organizations could have done um, probably more hiring more women hiring um, more uh, individuals so that it the, the that are um, at the time you know this was 30 years ago um, there are more women uh, a, a bit more women now um, but the numbers are still low um, in in some cases for example like with um, with mechanical engineering mechanical engineering is um, the most popular degree program in engineering. So there are a lot of women who are graduating with mechanical engineering degrees, but they are not, they are still only about like less than 10% of the working engineers in mechanical engineering. So it's really, really hard to feel that you have, uh, you know, to find others that, that you can connect with if you are really that underrepresented in the profession. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the work that you do with the Society of Women Engineers as an associate director of research, what exactly does that entail? So the work that I do is really around providing um, information and data 
to our members, to leaders in the engineering um, in, in industry, um, to policymakers, um, pointing out that these issues exist because that that's you know step one, recognizing that there's a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, and for those who understand that there's a problem, helping to give them the tools and resources that they need to make the, the changes that need to be made to create a more welcoming and inclusive environment in engineering. So it's really around taking, for the most part, um, taking all the great research that's happening out there because there's a lot of great uh, researchers who are working on these issues, bringing that to the attention of those who are um, practicing engineers and in positions of power who can um, make those changes happen and then make sure that the, those changes that are implemented are sort of data-driven, research-driven, right? Well, you mentioned that, I think you said it was 30% of, of women are in engineering. So what do you think the number should be? It actually is less than that. Um, 30% was sort of like the the threshold from what I've read that, you know, if you can get sort of like a 30%, it's sort of like a level of saturation where, where um, you feel a bit more of a, a level of inclusivity. Um, the, the actual number of women in engineering is more like 14%. Um, it's very, very low. <laughs> what would we like? 50-50, that's what we would like. Um, but, um, you know, we would like the engineering profession to reflect the population as a whole. Um, that would be the ideal. We are very, very far from reaching that. Right. I guess for, for something like that to happen, it's, it's because as it stands now, a lot of men go into engineering. For, for it to get close to that 50-50, wouldn't it mean that close to 50% of people going into engineering be women as well? Yeah, you would. You it it is sort of a, a an issue that goes all the way back to, I mean, there's research that shows that as young as like five six years old, there are these gender stereotypes about, you know, who is good at math. Um, you know, boys are better at math than girls. Those kinds of ideas, the influence of parents of teachers in um, perpetuating those stereotypes, uh, peers, how comfortable are are middle school and high school girls in 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 um showing that they are are uh, good at math and science that they that that they are interested in engineering and you know the, the peer influence is strong when you think about in the media and you know who you see as engineers and scientists um all of these influences are affecting our ability to really diversify the profession. And, and that, you know, that starts young. Um, the number of students, uh, the number of women who are earning engineering degrees is only, you know, 21, 22% of, of all engineering degrees earned are earned by women. So if we can't increase the, the number of, of girls entering engineering degree programs, we're not going to see the graduation rates go up. We're not going to see more engineers in the workforce. So it starts, it starts early. This is a problem that needs to, that's going to take decades. Um, and we have been working on it for decades. Um, but 
um, you know, back in the 1950s, there were only about 1% of working engineers who were women. Now we're at about 14%. So it has improved. But that that rate, it's going to take us a very, very long time to reach parity. Oh, it, it, it certainly sounds so. I mean, a lot of the issues that you mentioned, especially the one that stood out to me is, even you mentioned it was a big one, is is peer is the peer influence on them going into into engineering. So it's I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words as to even what you would do in in such a case where your friends or the, you know, your the people around you, your peers are the ones maybe discouraging you or not encouraging you to, to to do engineering, or maybe they think it's weird that you're going into a class of you know all the boys and and not sticking with them. It's like how how do you break that cycle? Yeah, it's a good question and. And it's not just girls. I mean, it's also boys changing the way boys think about who belongs, right? Um, who, who there, there's research that shows that in a team environment, um, there are, it's often what often happens is that girls are given some of the less technical tasks on the team. So you know, you take the notes. Um, you know, they, they don't get to play with the equipment. Um, so as teachers, making sure that, you know, when you bring those teams together, that they are, they are, there's equal time for, for students to, to, to play, right. To participate, um, making sure that, that, um, you know, for, for SWE, the Society of Women Engineers, we have these organizations, these clubs called SWENEX, and there are K-12 memberships um, free for students to try and bring some of these girls together so that they are with people, with students who share their interests. And I think that can really, really make a difference, right? So making sure that they are in, that, that they're encouraged, that their interest is encouraged, and that encouragement continues all the way through um, middle school, high school, into college, and into career. Yeah, absolutely. And then even even in that instance where you mentioned the the girls are asked to take the notes as opposed to play with the the the, te- the technical parts of a project, they just have to be the ones to say, uh, "No, actually, I want to do the technical part. You take the notes. How about that?" <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And being confident enough, and having you know, knowing that that the teacher has your back, you know, that others have your back because. If we can change the attitudes of of um, boys as well, right? Boys change the attitude of boys, um, and 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 I, I feel confident. I feel optimistic that that you know we're we're seeing a lot of change happen right now as far as what is um, acceptable for gender roles, right? Like particular, we we want to encourage more men to take paternity leave. Um, you know, th- those kinds of things, stay at home dads and um, being more equitable when it comes to the household chores, those things. Um, we see more of that happening. Um, and as we see more of that happening, I think we're going to see this change happen that we want to see. You know, Dr. Rincon, when I first started this pro- this podcast, it was about my own, it, it really stemmed from my own struggles giving presentations in front of management when I worked as an engineer. And I got a lot better at it over time because I saw the benefit of doing so. For just the, the, the career that you have faced, you know, that you've gone down, you know, so far, when did you notice or when did you, when did you realize the benefit of getting better or even just speaking in front of others, how that could be a benefit to you? So, 
So in high school, I never once made a presentation. I didn't have to make a presentation until I was a senior in college, my capstone project. And it was a group project and um, we had designed a rest area. And so I wasn't, I was tasked with making the presentation about the design of the parking lot for that rest area. So I stood up in front of about 20 classmates to make this presentation and I froze. I literally froze. I was so scared. Um, my One of my team members was mouthing to me what I needed to say. It was bad. It was very, very bad. <laughs> get out into the workforce. You know, I'm thinking, okay, I got that behind me. Um, I get out into the workforce. In my first job, um, the office... Um, lead the head of the office wanted us to share about our projects the projects that we were working on you know share with our our co-workers um and so i had to stand up and talk about the project that i was working on friendly group right i mean they're they're people that i work with they're people that i know same thing happened i froze i was terrified and somebody laughed and that was when i was like i can't do this anymore like i have to do something to change, like I, I had to overcome this fear. Um, and so I went to Toastmasters. I went, I, I didn't, didn't even go to Toastmasters. I went to like baby step Toastmasters. I was so scared to do it. So I did like a community college class that was an intro to Toastmasters. And then I went and I joined Toastmasters to try and overcome this fear. And, and I knew that, you know, the work that I do is important in a, I need to be able to share it with other people. If I can't speak in a, you know, front of a group, how am I going to do that? How am I going to, how, how am I going to be successful in my career if I can't speak to people, you know, friendly people, you know, I forget about speaking to people that I don't know. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what did it for me. And then going back to grad school, I had to make a lot of presentations um, so all of that, you know, but that's where it started. That's where it started. Yeah. I, 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 oh, well, you know, it was a kind of jerky move for that person to laugh. <laughs> Gosh, that's it was time. awful. It was absolutely <laughs> awful. I know you, you like cringe thinking about it, yeah. but that was, it was just terrible. Awful, awful, awful. But I'm, I'm glad that you eventually saw the, the, the benefit of it as well. Just, you're, you're right. It's, it's very difficult to even move up within an organization if you're not able to communicate, well, communicate your value to the organization is one thing, but just communicate the things that you're working on. And then it's, I mean, <laughs> Because who's how else are people supposed to know? It's like you're you're the one that knows, and, and if you're not communicating it, uh, how how's anyone an supposed to figure it out? Aspect of your work, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so when it comes to the presentations that you do now, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? I I it sort of depends on the on the presentation. So if I'm going to make say a presentation at a conference, um, what I tend to do is. I know what I want to talk about. I put together like an outline, um, uh, the, the topics that I want to cover. And then I put my slides together and then I practice it. I run through it and I realize every single time that I am twice as long as, <laughs> as I need at the time allotted to me. So I go back and I sort of like bring things down and I make it, you know, to where it will, it will work um, within the time allotted. 
what I typically do is I don't put together a script. I put together like bullet points. I know what I want to say for each of these slides and I let it flow. Um, I've done to where I've put together a script. Um, it doesn't work very well for me uh, to, to read what I'm going to say, what I want to say. Um, but if I have bullet points, it, it, it flows a bit better. So that's always, uh, that's sort of my process. I commend you, actually forget commend. I thank you for practicing your presentations so that they finish within time. God knows how many conferences I've been to where I'm looking at the agenda. This person had 15 minutes to talk. Why 20 minutes in this person is still talking? <laughs> you just throw the entire agenda off and now lunch is starting late and I'm mad and I'm because I'm hangry. Because this whole thing is I was supposed to eat already. I, I'm, on, I'm on a schedule, damn it. I, my, my, I had breakfast at eight. 12 was supposed to be lunch. Now they talk about 12, 15 is lunch. No, I'm, I'm, mad, I'm mad for 15 minutes. <laughs> it, it's such a it's such it's so annoying when people do that it's just it's it is it's disrespectful to the audience too when it really really Absolutely. comes down to it when you you're, you're told how much time you had but it's like i don't care i'm gonna go over anyway because <laughs> i'm me like who the hell are you i'm me <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i i really like your point about about uh not having a script and working off of bullets as well and i, I suspect that when you practice you're you're practicing so that you make sure that you hit all the, the bullets that you want in the mm -hmm. in the time that you're allotted, I, I I firmly believe that reading or just trying to memorize something isn't the way to go because in the event that you forget something in in the in, when when it's time to actually give the presentation, then you might freeze like you used to when you were in high school or, or <laughs> when you were in college <laughs> when you were start, when you started all working. flustered, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, oh crap, I missed that word. Where, where where am I? Where am I now? And then then you fall into a tailspin, and there's no friend to help you to mouth out the words to you. <laughs> <laughs> your presentation is no one, it's just you. So I, I firmly am a fan of, of bullets and of practicing presentations too. That, I think that's great. Do you ever get nervous before giving a presentation? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? I get nervous before every single presentation. I have come to accept that I'm just going to get nervous. And one problem that I have, and it's not all the time, um, but I blush when like, like I get flushed. Right. And um, so it's visible to the audience that I am nervous, but I have accepted that that is sometimes going to happen. And I just have to work through that. And so with practice, I have done that. I mean, it, it's just, I am, I am an introvert. I am not comfortable in that, you know, the big speaking out. I, may never ever be comfortable. I've been speaking in front of people for, you know, many, many years now. And I still, it still happens. Um, but it, you know, it's gonna happen. What the alternative is not making the presentation and that is not accept, an acceptable alternative to me. So I've adapted. Yeah, for me, it's it's sweating. So I remember when I first started giving presentations, it was, it was like I just dropped out the shower. It was, it was gross. It was, it, was, it was pouring everywhere. Was just, I mean, I, I didn't even, I, I should have practiced. But, you know, when I first started giving those presentations, I was so arrogant. I thought I could just get up there and just read slides and get out of there as quickly as possible. But I never got out of there as, as quickly as possible because oftentimes what would happen is I'd get questions after the presentation mm -hmm. that I thought I'd answer during it. So now <laughs> I was sweating before and during the presentation. And now afterwards, I'm getting these questions. Oh, now it's, it's just dripping everywhere. It's just... It's just <laughs> 
<laughs> so now my my hack is that I wear sweaters. So if you're a sweater, oh. wear a sweater. Yeah, you know, you, you can't you, you can't see the pit stains when you know when, when you wear <laughs> when you put the sweater on. Yeah, yeah. I, blushing has never been my issue. I think for rather obvious reasons, I don't have the skin <laughs> for it. But 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 I I can certainly see how how that could be a, an issue for others. When when it comes to giving presentations, just public speaking in general, for the people who are listening and or watching our conversation, what would your number one tip be for them to become more effective at it? Mm. I think just accepting that you're going to be uncomfortable. Like, I, you know, you may get more comfortable if you're, if you're lucky, um, you know, to, to where you're, you're not sweating profusely or you're not blushing and you, you know, it, it, it comes more naturally, but you know, for me, it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's just going to happen and you're going to get through it and it's going to be fine, but accept that. Um, and don't be afraid of that. Um, because that's how you grow. That's how that, that it, it it's if you really want to move forward, you're going to have to kind of just push forward through that level of uncomfortableness and um, and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. That's what I you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, so I get a little blush, flushy and, you know, I mean, people know I'm nervous. So what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, you know that they're not up here, and they're probably more scared to be up there than I am. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point, Doctor Rincon. Especially if someone wants to give you a hard time afterwards. Well, you were blushing a whole lot. You know what? I'm gonna be in the first row when time when it come time for you to give a presentation, <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to nitpick everything that you did that was wrong. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, make sure that your content is good. Because if you're delivering them, they're going to pay attention to what you're saying. Um, you know, that little distraction of being nervous and said, it's nothing. The, the content is what's important. I, I, I firmly agree with you. I mean, you could be up there and be the best speaker ever. In fact, I was at a conference earlier this year, or, well, not really this year, but uh, summer, this past summer, and they were great speakers. But if you were to ask me afterwards, what did they talk about? I have no clue. <laughs> But I, but I knew they moved around the stage a lot. I knew they used their hand gestures a lot. They used a lot of, of vocal variety. All the things you learn about in Toastmasters, actually. But what was the content of their speech? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. No, I do not remember at exactly. all. Exactly. <laughs> the content is important. Content, is, content key. is key. 100%. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? You can reach me at my email address, um, roberta.rincon, R-I-N-C-O-N at S-W-E dot O-R-G. Uh, you can also look me up on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect. Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Dr. Rincon. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time. <laughs>